In this episode, I'm joined by Catan Studio CEO Pete Finland. We talk about how playing a game requires a good beverage, not a bad beverage, no matter what kind of beverage it is you're drinking. He also compares playing board games and sharing them as the same way as sharing music. We might even get a definitive answer on how to pronounce Klaus Teuber's pivotal game. Check it out. Welcome back to Legend Board Game. I'm your host, Adam Collins, and with me today is Pete Finland, CEO of Catan Studio. Pete, how are you doing this afternoon? Well, I'm, I'm, now that I've had some coffee, I'm, I'm very well. I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm actually, it's a beautiful spring day here in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Um, it's, uh, you know, full of flowering trees and singing birds, and, and we're about to go into what I hope is a beautiful weekend, so I can't be too bad. No, I hope the weather holds. It is yeah. a little yeah. breezy here in St. Louis, but other than that, it's hope, hopefully it stays sunny and uh, we have a good weekend. As you can see, we have a nice uh, studio environment to hang out in. Um, and uh, we're in a small city, um, Charlottesville, Virginia, about two hours southwest of Washington, D.C. It's best known for being the home of the University of Virginia. But it's also the uh, home of the three of the first five presidents, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe, and the hometown of both Lewis and Clark from Lewis and Clark uh, fame. Ah. So it's a bit of a historic site. Uh, it's right on the edge of uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains. Shenandoah National Park is on the western edge of our county. It's an area known for its wine and wilderness. And uh, I have... Uh, not a stoplight between me and the Appalachian Trail, and yet I can walk to some really fine restaurants and uh, over, uh, uh, you know, to a friend's house and enjoy a good uh, meal and a game. With the there's ease. there's nothing wrong with a good meal and a game, especially you said you got some wineries out there. Wine goes really well with gaming. It does, as does <laughs> as, as do a number of beverages, fine beverages. But we sure. like to recommend fine beverages, be it fine water. <laughs> fine, you know, fine soft drinks, fine beer, whatever. We just, you know, we would recommend just, just as we recommend that you not sp waste your time playing bad games. You don't waste your time drinking bad beverages, and and a good game can be enhanced, of course, by a good beverage. So, um, uh, one last little tidbit: if you go out the door here by uh, where I where I'm sitting uh, onto the our our veranda, the studio veranda, you can see Monticello, and. Um, and up, you know, up on the mountain there. And, and uh, Thomas Jefferson um, loved a good game. So. Not bad. There Not you go. Bad. So as I said, you are the CEO of Catan Studio. Uh, yeah. What all does that entail? Well, I'm uh, within the Asmodee group, uh, head of studio. So I run one of the 20-some studios within uh the bigger Asmodee group. Asmodee is uh, the world's biggest independent game publisher uh, in the, in, you know, specifically devoted to games. Uh, we're now part of the Embracer group in Sweden, which is a, uh, Europe's biggest game company. Uh, that, uh, but we uh, have studios all over the world and uh, distribu distribution units all over the world. We're actually based in Guillaume which is near Versailles and, and France, uh, just outside Paris. Our headquarters in North in North America is, uh, or I should say, in the United States, is up in um, in uh, Saint the Saint Paul Minneapolis area, uh, just north of Saint Paul in Roseville, Minnesota, and the studios, of course, are scattered all over, and we're one of them. We happen to be, we like to think of ourselves as the sharp tip of the spear. We're typically, you know, we're devoted to uh, one brand, Catan, and our mission is to make Catan the most successful game in the world and redefine for the common man or woman uh, the uh, idea of what a board game is and, and grow the game culture, uh, which is something I've been doing for uh, now 45 years. Well, yes, 42 years, excuse me, 42 years going on 43. So how did you get into gaming? So uh, I was a military brat, 
I started life in Japan, moved every three years. Um, I started playing games uh, through sports. I was a huge sports fan, you know, and I loved to play sports, loved to run around outside. We played a lot of sports, but we also played a lot of made up games and uh, a lot, you know, made up, you know, fantasy stuff and this and that. you know, as uh, we moved around, we realized it wasn't always nice weather outside. So my my father in uh, in Germany, when I was living in Germany, in elementary school, introduced me to uh, um, 3M games and also Milton Bradley games. And these were kind of hit. You know, the Milton Bradley games were sort of historical games. They're sort of light war games, uh, broadsides and boarding parties and dogfight things like that. And uh, and then the 3M games were were these really cool bookcase games, very novel. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, you know, Twix, and Twix, Acquire, and things like that. You know, Stocks and Bonds. Acquire is one and, of my favorites. And um, and so I started playing those when I was you know nine or ten. I you know, and and this would have been in the in the 60s. So um, you're talking you know pretty early. And I was very lucky to be exposed by by that. And then um, I moved uh, back home. I lived in St. Louis, outside St. Louis for a while. We played a lot of games there. I got into Stratomatic baseball and, and uh, Stratomatic football and those games. They're really great sports games, that, you know, really cool uh, board games. And then uh, after a year in Oklahoma, uh, I moved to Washington, D.C. area and went to a high school that had an experimental um, curriculum at, for, at, you know, for my last three years in high school. So I had a, an odd um, experience where half of my school day for my sophomore, junior, and senior year was one class. And it was team taught. And it would, they taught you know, essentially your English, your music, your art, your history, your government, all that stuff in, in, in a sort of modular form as an exp- exploration of man- the man- mankind's experience. So it started out, this, you know, the civilized experience. So it started out in Mesopotamia, and you would do all of, you know, study Mesopotamia from all those angles. And then at the end of that session, before you went to Egypt, you would role play Mesopotamia. And, you, the, the, you know, the class, you know, the kids in the class would actually take on roles, you know, from that, that culture. And, and we did that for three years. Um, and we ended with a mock uh, election, you know, ran a mock election, a presidential election uh, for the whole school. And that was kind of the, the coup, you know, the, 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 uh, the coup de grace, you know. The, and uh, so I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was getting training in role playing and, uh, you know, serious training in role playing before there was Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, same time, we had this killer game club. And, and it was Thomas Jefferson High School. It's a very renowned school up, up in the D.C. area. And, and we just had a great group of folks playing, you know, really awesome games. And we just were we were making up uh, variants of these games uh, whenever we played them. And, um, I, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was I had been for the longest time designing games, whether I knew it or not. So <laughs> I came to. Uh, University of Virginia here, second year after getting over the initial hangover, first year, went to the game club. I uh, discovered uh, at the game club I was expecting to play some war games or some other kind of heavy board game, and, and I ran into a group of guys playing Dungeons and Dragons, and this was autumn of 1974, so this was very kind of the very beginning of the need D&D craze. In fact, it was before the craze, and... Um, and uh, I, I liked the idea of role playing. I liked the guys that were playing, and I liked the idea that it was set in Middle Earth. The, the uh, history professor, Dick Bailey, had set his game in Middle Earth. Uh, I didn't like the fact that Dick didn't know a lot about Middle Earth, um, and I didn't like and I didn't like the game system. It was it didn't make any sense to me. It was kind of it was weird, and and I didn't realize at the time it had been a derived from a miniatures game uh, from Chainmail and kind of evolved. But the idea was really cool. And uh, anyway, Dick left to teach at West Point the next year. I took over the game and uh, became the game master. I didn't like the idea of a dungeon master because we did a lot more than go to dungeons. And I decided to apply my, uh, you know, my 
backcountry experience. I spent a lot of time in the wilderness and, you know, trying to kind of bring that home in the game system. You know, I changed the, we started changing in a modular way, the experience point system, the encumbrance system, the combat system, all that stuff. And uh, I ran that game for years and uh, at the University of Virginia. And, and uh, eventually that game gave birth to uh, Rollmaster, which was my, my first commercial game design. And with, and of course, it was a team developed game. I would do, a, I, I did a lot of the primary design work, but Coleman Charlton, Kurt Fisher, um, you know, uh, my later wife, Olivia Johnston, uh, Terry Amthor, a lot of people, uh, Bruce Shelley, who would go on to legend uh, as part of the Age of Empires crew, um, you know, all contributed design ideas. And in fact, I, three of the founders of Ensemble, the guys that did Age of Empires later, were in my game. So it was, it was a heck of a ride and uh, ran that game for about five years. And then uh, in, while I was in law school in 1980, uh, my uh, sister-in-law convinced me to start a company. And I started, uh, uh, got my gamers together, said, hey, how many of you guys want to start a company with me? And we founded uh, ICE or Iron Crown Enterprises in April of eight, 1980. And um, we began publishing adventure games, which were, you know, initially role-playing games. Uh, with starting with Rollmaster, later we got the Middle Earth rights. Um, we did all the games based on Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit for the next eighteen years. Um, we got Narnia rights, did some Narnia games. We did uh, interactive books, you know, choose your own adventure books. We did uh, collectible card games, the whole shebang. And then uh, about. Uh, 16 years, 15 years, excuse me, into that ride, uh, we, we decided to really branch into board games. And and uh, we had done some Middle Earth board games, but not nothing serious in terms of launching a big line. And uh, Catan came along. A friend of mine had picked up Catan at uh, Essen Game Fair in, in uh, October 1995 when it first came out. And I had missed that show. I'd gone to Frankfurt Book Fair instead. And he brought it to our happy hour and we played it. And I immediately tried to get the rights to that, the English language <laughs> rights to that game. So I said, this is the best board game I've ever played. And um, Klaus Teuber, the designer, said, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I already sold those rights to Mayfair Games. Uh, and, uh, you know, too bad kind of thing. And, and I said, well, love your game. And, you know, thanks a lot for the, the, this gift. I think your game is the, is the game that should be. Uh, the board game mentioned instead of Monopoly when people talk about board games. And um, Klaus, you know, was very kind. And anyway, we left it at that. But about a year and a half later, Mayfair Games was having trouble, and we knew them very well, knew the family, uh, the Bromley family that ran the company. And as a white knight, we bought them. And we bought them just for Catan, to be honest. Uh, although they had a wonderful portfolio of role-playing games and other board games. Um, and... Uh, Klaus sent his son Guido to visit me here. We he kind of interviewed us to see if we were worthy licensees, and and um, I said we will buy this company if you will transfer the rights. And let us publish the English language version of Catan globally. And uh, I said I think I can. In the course of doing this, it may not be on my watch, but I think we can we can start the the, the journey to make this the most successful game in the world. And he said I don't know about that but i think you might you believe that so let's do that and that's how i got into i guess that was a long-winded way of saying <laughs> that's how i got into gaming but it's been a long ride uh, i'm sorry adam no no it sounds like a, a great ride i uh i just recently finished reading klaus's uh memoir yeah uh, and so uh it was a very interesting story about how he got into gaming and yeah how Catan just kind of happened, and then he had no idea when he made it that it was going to be like the thing it is now. Um, I will forever yeah. be grateful to Catan as it uh, got me back into gaming, and I've used it a lot with coworkers. That was what started my whole lunchtime gaming group at work. Um, it used to be a race to who could get into the because we only had one copy at the time, so it was whoever could get in there the fastest would be the first yeah. four. Yeah. Um, then we had a trophy. We had a oh. 3D. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We we took our Catan gaming very seriously. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a Catan trophy. And so if you had the trophy, you had to come and try to defend it. And um, 
So they'll be branched out from there. But without Catan, you know, I don't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, uh, talking to you and uh, playing games all the time at lunch and meeting all the amazing people that I have met in this industry. Yeah, I, I'm, I feel very blessed because, you know, when we first started ICE in 80, we were part of the sort of second wave of folks, um, you know, to the second, you know, you know, fo- folks in the adventure game business after, you know, Dave Arnes and Gary Gygax and the, you know, the Greg Staffords and the, you know, the, the, um, the you know, the folks that did RuneQuest and Tunnels and Trolls and all that sort of stuff. We, you know, we came in, you know, with that next wave, Jordan Wiseman with FASA, uh, you know, Steve Jackson, um, certainly uh, me and my crew. And we, you know, we wanted to grow the game culture. You know, that, you know, we really felt like we had something super special, you know, and, and, and because it was just so much fun, right. And, and just so positive and it's just great interactive storytelling. Even if it's a board game, role-playing game, whatever it is, uh, it's storytelling and uh, it can be a short experience or a long one, but, you know, it's just a delightful opportunity to share fun with somebody, you know, over a table and uh, you know, how good is that? And, and so we, you know, we thought in that, you know, we grow, we would grow the culture. We just didn't, we didn't actually think that it would get to where it is. And, you know, maybe even in our lifetime. Oh yeah. And it's crazy how many new games come out every week on Kickstarter, how many new ones are produced every year from not only, you know, the small independent ones from Kickstarter, but also from the Day line and all the other uh, game publishers out there. Yeah. Well, we, we got a taste of it a little bit. I, I was sensing it even in the uh, eight, late 80s and 90s. Uh, I was going to Europe a lot. What We did about uh, 40% of our business outside the U.S. Um, in, in those days. And I was going to Frankfurt Book Fair and then later uh, and Nuremberg Toy Fair and later uh, Essen. And uh, one of my old buddies, a guy I'd met at Nuremberg uh, Toy Fair, is still a dear friend to this day, Jean Venet's ran a company called uh, Flying Turtle Games in Belgium. And uh, he had a distribution company, Big Bad Wolf. And he designed a, a bunch of cool games. Uh, he's best probably known for Shark, uh, which is, a, a if you like a choir, you, you love Shark. Um, and I think Korea Board Games is about to bring out Shark yet again, which is really cool. Uh, classic game. But anyway, Jean was one of the pioneers, uh, along with Baron Bernhofer and some of the other folks um, that, you know, at, at Essen. And, and with the Essen, you know, team and um, the, um, you know, the the game fair then was really small, intimate. It was just, you know, a few uh, big companies and a bunch of small companies. But we were starting to see even then a lot of independent designers, guys who were making, you know, beautiful crafted games in their garage or it, it being Europe, you know, uh, there aren't that many garages, but, you know, in, in some, some basement or loft or whatever. And, you know, it was a little bit like Kickstarter today. They were going to, they were going there just to sell enough games to kind of keep the, keep going. And, uh, and they were, you know, it was of course not, you know, like Kickstarter in the sense that the folks would, you know, essentially crowdfund your game, but, but they were taking a risk that people would buy, you know, buy that first run of product and, and they weren't, and, and a lot of them did. And we started to see that there in that German market specifically, but there were Belgians and French, you know, uh, Euro games, a lot of guys, uh, Euro games to cart, uh, that were coming from other countries, certainly the Netherlands. And, um, we, we started to get a taste of what was to come and, and well, I guess it's come. (laughs) And here we are right in the middle of it right now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I just am very thankful for those pioneers. The, uh, you know, the Alex Randolph's, the Sid Saxons, the guys that did, you know, those three M games that I talked about, you know, because they, they were, you know, initially, the, the pioneers, um, and, and, uh, we're, we're certainly surfing off that legacy. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And those three M games, the more I find them and pick them up for 
pennies on the dollar what they're they're worth it's mm-hmm. the more i play them the more i'm like man and th- these games are 50 years old like acquire is 50 years almost 60 years old yeah exactly, exactly. and it's so good um my cousin yeah. i finally got to play it and now i just i can't stop playing it i just right you know it's such a great game and i sit there and think man this came out in 1964 <laughs> yeah yeah exactly you know it, i mean it's uh variations on a theme sometimes you know um, yeah you know you um it's very it's always very hard to to explain you know what what in life is original and, and what is derivative and what is collaborative and uh it's all those things right yeah i agree uh, there was a hilarious video called everything's a remix i think is what it was called and it's like showing like these famous scenes from movies now but then how they were done like back in black and white and silent films and they're like the exact same scene sequence and yet you know it's like well but it looked so fresh you know but it was done like 1920 so yeah you, can, yeah you can see that with some board games and some mechanics that get kind of taken and then morphed out so yeah yeah and sometimes simple you know simple is better some you know return to return to elegance sometimes uh finds you going back to you know the basics or whatever you know um but like i was saying you know with a, a simple game like shark um you know that you know that i you know is a game that like a choir, it doesn't have a lot of mechanics, but, um, you know, it's, it's just a timeless experience. Yeah. I always tell people, they're like, well, what makes a choir so good? It's all about timing. Yeah. You have to have the right tile at the right time and you can, you can catch a windfall like you wouldn't believe. And if you don't have the right tile at the right time, you do not catch that, <laughs> that windfall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. It, it, it you know, um, it is important though to know what to do with what you have at any given moment, right? Oh yeah. And, and great games are games where, regardless of how bad it seems, uh, there's always something to do, and and there's always some some way to move forward a little bit, even if it's just passing the dice. But but you're generally speaking, there's there's some you know some some action, some way out. Even on in on, in the on the worst turn, I mean, it may just be mitigating damage, but at the end, there's always something to do. And and if you if you don't give up in the moment, um, if, you know, you might find you know that little uh, that little light there, that little crack, and and that may be the difference in in the game. Sure. I mean, when playing Catan, it's always the seven. When does the seven come up? Well, it only comes up when you have all the cards you need, but you have <laughs> nine or eight cards, and the seven's inevitably going to come up. And you'll roll your own seven. That's the best part about yeah. it, because yeah. then you you short you shortchange your own hand, and then you got to go try to remember. Okay, who had the other ore that now I got to go try to steal? Right. Um, yeah, that I that's there's so much to love about Catan and all the uh the standalone or the variants and the add-ons and the scenarios uh we've played so many of them we played so much Catan that we had to institute monday was vanilla Catan. no no expansions yeah just straight Catan on mondays tuesday on we'd have two boards going at opposite ends of the table do whatever you want but monday monday we had to play the straight up base game so well, I don't know, uh, you guys, you know, we have a world championship uh, for Catan <laughs> in Malta in November. We'll have 70 some uh, champions from around the world. And, uh, you know, we, we we're always hoping to see, you know, Americans who who do play a lot of Catan, you know, in, in that in that final uh, yeah. tournament, because um, honestly, it, it's really exciting to see all those different cultures, you know, guys from different cultures, men and then women both, a lot of women, which is great, more and more, uh, coming from, uh, you know, these different cultures coming together, different playing styles and uh, and uh, sharing fun, you know. And, yeah, uh, I competed, uh, oh, goodness, it's been four years ago now, I think, uh, here in St. Louis, I'm one of the qualifiers, and I got to the mm-hmm. final table and... After opening placement, I'm like, yep, 
I am not going to make it out of this game. <laughs> and I tried to mitigate damage. I try, you know, but there are multiple ways to victory, right? You can try the, you can try the dev cards. Yeah. You can try yeah. to, you know, get the cities. But I was like, it wasn't too long after initial placement and the first couple rounds, I'm like, this is not going to go my way unless we roll a whole bunch of threes. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the placement, of course, at the start of the game is critical. And, and, uh, but, you know, I, I have played enough and I can't play competitively. I'm not allowed to, but, <laughs> but I played, I played enough to know, uh, generally speaking, you know, don't hang on to your cards too long, your resource cards too long. Um, you know, it, it, even if you don't think it's it's the right thing to do, buy go ahead and buy the dev card. You know, if you, uh, in, in a lot of cases, you know, just keep it moving because if you keep moving, uh, eventually, you know, you might get a breakthrough and and uh, and you might catch a break, as they say. But anyway, it's uh, it, it, the thing about Catan is it's not a determinative game. It's not there is a bit of serendipity in the content. You know, it has dice and. Uh, and uh you know there will be surprises and sometimes they aren't good <laughs> <laughs> so if i traveled out there to uh virginia yeah. what game is currently sitting on your table what game are you what's your favorite game right now wow um yeah that's that's a you know that's a a really interesting well right now on our table is we just swept off uh, Catan Dawn of Humankind, which is a game that's coming out this autumn, and I'll shill a little bit for Catan there, but that's a complete rebuild of our old uh, Catan Stone Age game, our own uh, Settlers of the Stone Age. But it's a re- it's a really thoughtful, uh, re- you know, we sort of went back to the roots and rebuilt it. Um, the initiative is on our table. Uh, it's a an unexpected game um, from Corey's team. Um, and uh, it's a pretty, you know, pretty cool, pretty cool game. Um, we have, of course, a kind of a little rotation of, re- you know, sort of recent fun um, and, uh, you know, recent games. So, you know, we have Sagrada and we have, you know, the Wingspan and the, the sort of usual, usual suspects, if you will. Um, I have two other games that uh, I, I was sort of backing in Kickstarter that we're playing. Uh, we just played uh, Paris and uh, Pachacuna, and um, and those games are, uh, you know, out on the table uh, off and on. Um, I guess uh, we, uh, we got, we're exploring some legacy games a little bit, so we just played uh, Round of Queen, uh, The Rise of Queensdale uh, and, uh, and some King's Dilemma. And uh, I guess that's I guess that's where we are right now, and in, in terms of you know, like what's on the table right now. Sounds like a good uh, good selection there. Yeah, yeah, we're we're uh, we're a mix. I mean, I don't get enough chance to uh, to go out and buy games because I am pretty busy. I, you know, I just stepped down as the president of the local scout council and I've got the studio to run and we, you know, we got a brand to build here, but, um, and we, you know, we obviously focused on the next Catan games, but, um, you know, my team, you know, like me, they love games. And so, uh, Stephanie Newman and, and, uh, Morgan Dontonville, both of whom, uh, live here, come to the studio, uh, you know, even with COVID and regularity, we have regular uh, in-studio um, game play testing sessions and meetings. Uh, they always bring new games. And uh, and so Morgan, who's maybe one of the biggest consumers of board games anywhere, um, a big backer of a lot of Kickstarters and a great game designer in his own right, um, you know, is, is usually bringing uh, one or two new games every every week. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I can't even keep track of it. So I've, we got a, you know, I've got kind of a backlog of stuff. Um, you know, here, you know, uh, Irish Gauge, Yukon Airways, Brew, you know, Great Plains from Morgan, Glasgow, uh, and of course, Bloody End's been out a little bit, 
for a while and oh yeah and uh but but morgan's uh planning that we're planning to have a session of that um yeah and i get recommendations from uh, buddies around the world you know we, we all share um you know hey you know we're, this is a cool game i played knowledge all the time it's kind of like cha- you know sharing music you know mm-hmm. um you know it's great to have somebody who loves jazz or you know, North African rhyme music or whatever, you know, uh, metal, whatever it may be, you know, telling you what they like because, you, you know, you you may be, you know, focused on some other variety of music at the time. And, and uh, you know, it's just joyful to, to, to be surprised by a new game. Yeah. Well, I'm going to step back a second. You said you just stepped down as the leader of the Scouts troop. Scout um, Council, actually. Scout yeah, yeah. Council. Virginia Headwaters Council, yeah. Yeah, so that's actually how I came across your name. Oh. Um, my coworker who sat next to me is really big in the Boy Scouts here in the St. Louis area, and he told me about the merit badge for game design. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, "Hey, you might want to look into this." Yeah, game design merit. Badge. So I went and paid the whole four ninety nine for the little book on the requirements for it, and you are quoted in the front of that book, and I was like, "Hmm." I should reach out to Pete and see if he wants to be on my show. So oh, I got well, on link. Go. So I got on LinkedIn, and that's what I did. Um, and, full circle. Yeah, and so in so uh, here recently, I am I am right now counseling one uh, Boy Scout in his. Uh, he's going for his merit badge in game design. So it's been an interesting experience working with him and seeing the the joy that game design is bringing to this young kid is it's amazing. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun. I look forward to meeting up with him again and see where he's at and the changes he's made and uh, working, he's working on trying to get to a stage where we can work on getting a prototype together. So, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's been a lot of fun uh, working with him on that. And I'm hoping that this will lead to more, uh, opportunities for me to work with the Boy Scouts with yeah, the Yeah, I think uh, that, and, you know, and the Scouts now, and it's not just boys now, you know, we have girls as well. We had over 2,000 Eagle Scouts, girl Eagle Scouts last year, which is awesome. Uh, more and more, you know, the, these kids are, uh, you know, surprising us, uh, by, you know, with their amazing talent and, 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 uh, and creativity. And, Although we're traditionally rooted in nature as a classroom, uh, that is our core, um, you know, classroom. Uh, there, you know, weather, you know, seasons demand that you go inside, and and uh, game design, you know, of course, can be an outdoor experience if you're designing sports, as I said earlier, like I did when I was a kid. But you know, a lot if if you're indoors and it's you know weather's kind of cruddy and this and that. You know, what's better than getting getting together with some friends, maybe, or, or, or whatever, and tinkering with a cool game idea and making up a game? And, yeah, um, yeah so that that actually was uh, a couple of Wood Badge uh, folks, one from the West Coast, one from the East Coast, uh, guys who were doing their Wood Get Badge tickets. That's a kind of a adult training program within scouting. Conceived of the idea of trying to do a game design merit badge, and they both did it separately. And then they said, "Hey, we should work together." And then they reached out to me in my old capacity as CEO of Mayfair Games because I had run Mayfair Games from uh, you know prior to coming into the Asmodee Group. Uh, Mayfair Games, incidentally, came into Asmodee in as Catan Studio, and then later as Lookout Games as well because we also owned three quarters of Lookout Games in Germany. And um, anyway, we had the Mayfair Games guys uh, all excited about helping the scouts because uh, I, I was a big, I was at the time a, a scout master and a big scout, you know, big, big fan of scouting and uh, myself an Eagle Scout. And we had a couple other guys really get into the idea of, of working on the game design merit badge. And uh, then we found out Darwin Bromley, who founded Mayfair Games and had then been retired uh what it was also big into scouting was part of this initiative and so as it was it was a team initiative there were a bunch of us but um darwin certainly worked on it he's now passed away but uh he 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 gave his all and and then uh uh, alex yeager who was uh, then our uh, um 
editor in chief uh, worked hard on this on the on the merit badge, and, and of course, so I, I found it to be a labor of love. I can I can see why it's a good program. Uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. I like the I like how hands on it is for them to you know come up with an idea, and you just kind of help them work it into a game, and then yeah. let them go. And now they're work. He's working on trying to get it to a point where we can turn it into a prototype and and push it further from there. So. Cool. Yeah, it's going to be fun. During COVID, I think I taught about 60, well, actually two waves. I guess it was probably closer to 80 kids from around the world, Game Design Merit Badge. And um, <laughs> we had kids like, I think we had a kid from Mongolia um, involved. And and most, you know, most of them finished, actually. A lot of them, you know, a lot of those games were not great games, but, you know, they were okay. Some were really kind of crazy. Um, some sports, uh, some board games. Uh, we only got one computer game out of it, which is, which is okay. You know, it's really hard to, to d- design a, uh, you know, from soup to nuts, uh, or from scratch, I should say, uh, computer games. Yeah, I can't. I could, I wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I well, wouldn't even know where to start. Yeah. So, do you play board games at the office on lunch hour? We do. Um, not every day, um, because I'm often alone here on some days uh, mm-hmm. because of COVID. Uh, we used to play, you know, through the ice years, uh, religiously, you know, uh, at lunchtime. And, of course, always happy hour um, in, uh, in, you know, that was always the case. We did that, of course, through the Mayfair years. More recently, we play uh, at lunch every Wednesday, sometimes on Fridays. Yeah, and, we play uh, every Thursday. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, uh, and you know, it's, a, you know, how... How much? How yeah? It can't get any better than lunch with a game. No, no, not at all, not yeah. at all. So, what would be your go-to sixty-minute lunch hour game? Oh my gosh, um, there are just so many of them. I mean, I you know I know Catan's an old an old gateway game, and you know for a lot of people. But uh, you know, I, I right now we're uh, I love Catan Seafarers, particularly with uh, the Helpers expansion. Um, and I, we're doing that mostly in the context, we're actually in the process of doing some future development. So we've kind of returned to our roots there, but it's a great, you know, 60 minute game. Um, absolutely. You you know, um, (laughs) no question. A little, you know, a a game that requires a little more movement around the room in the sense of how you set up the things I, which we love is, uh, Decrypto. I don't know if you know Decrypto. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, um, we um, we I always seem to get, be right there on the edge of winning it, and then we don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, you should. You should win. <laughs> you should occasionally win. I, um, think, I don't think I've ever won that game. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, it's 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 your team's fault. It's not your yeah, fault. Yeah. Right? Obviously. You know, it's a it's a it's a team thing. Um. Yeah, I guess. Uh, you know, more recently, of course, we've been. You know, we we we. Been as I, I think I alluded to that little rotation of games. Um, we've been uh, doing uh, I, there are various really cool. I, I I don't know if you know a game called Isle of Sky. It's a really good. It's a really good game. It's an awesome game actually. Uh, it's uh, a lookout game. It's uh, a little bit. It may for people who play Carcassonne, it may be familiar, but it's much deeper. And uh, and that's a particularly awesome game. So we've been playing a lot of Isle of Sky, and it's it's uh, it's uh, different expansions. And uh, I'm a huge fan. It's a tile game, uh, but it you know it's it's a uh, you know it's a tile and placement game. But I you know I, it, but it's deeper than that because there's bidding involved. There are a number of you know mechanics that you might be familiar with uh, that come together there in a kind of a a really joyful design. Um, so um, lately that's been, you know, uh, we've been playing, um, goodness, Calliope's game on uh, um, Magnificent Plumes, I think it is, uh, which is just really, really awesome little card game. Um, and uh, that's where you're building peacocks. I've seen that one. I've never, I haven't played it yet, but I've you know, seen it. Seems it. Odd, but no, it's just a fine game, and uh, that may be 
that may be more the 30-minute game than the 60-minute game. First time around, it's one of those 60-minute games. But. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were playing a game in t- uh, of Red Dragon in this week, and it was the first time that anybody other than I have played it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it took us the full hour to explain it and play it, but, like, after you learn the game the mechanics work and it goes so much it's like you know i always say with Catan, like the first time it'll probably take you a little over an hour because you got to explain the rules and you got to kind of teach that oh you can't do that this is why but then after a while once once we gave everybody their own set of dice so we're not chasing them all over the table Mm -hmm. uh man we we could knock a game out in 45 minutes yeah yeah i think you can find uh in uh yeah, you know, in the rhythm of the game, uh, depending on who the mix of folks is, again, you know, we play Catan, you know, anywhere from, you know, 45, 50 minutes to an hour and a half. So it's kind of, you know, the, but, but if you're moving along, you know, uh, it's so not what was, what is your favorite expansion or scenario? Like if you could set up a Catan board, what, what would be your setup? Wow. Well, I, I, I confess that I'm I'm quite capable of going whole hog and doing a a fair cities and nights. Experience. I I played that one time and it is yeah. simply amazing. Seafair uh, cities and nights, Seafair uh, uh, cities and nights uh, with helpers is is a little bit of a wild ass experience. No, I have not put I've not put helpers into it, but I I played cities and nights seafarers one time and it. It is amazing. Yeah. Oh no, my it's fun. It's gosh. Deep. It's it's got a lot of depth to it. it hasn't just enough surprise. Yep. Uh, helpers helps you take away, you know, some of the the uh, serendipity, but it, it you know some of the luck. It, it takes the edge off it a little bit, but but I think it's really good to. Uh, that's a, just a great expansion for those who play a lot of games and and who uh, aren't you know who aren't subject to analysis paralysis because that's yeah. the main issue. <laughs> You know, yeah. with uh, with a lot of folks, uh, you know, if they get get too many choices, yeah, I, I just I loved it because you had the islands, so you, then you had the pirate ship that could go around, yeah, and then you had the barbarians that are coming in when the when the pirate ship is rolled on the on the mm-hmm. uh, third die, yeah. and you're paying out the extra cloth or mm-hmm. paper or coin, so you're building up the towards the metropolis, yeah. yeah, the the commodities you're building up towards the the next uh the next level on your improvements or developments and and you got you know building across the the hexes and you got to get there quick because somebody else could cut off you know your way to an island and you gotta go all the way around it longest road becomes could be gigantic at that point if you're connecting if you're connecting all the islands oh yeah that uh i'm trying to think how long it took us to play that it took about Probably seventy-five minutes to play it, but it yeah, probably yeah. took every bit of it's twenty longer, minutes to longer. set it up. <laughs> yeah, it's a longer game experience. I mean, it, you you figure ninety minutes with a good team, you know, two hours. Yeah. But that's you take your time. It's a great. It's a really great game experience, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of avenues for uh, shifting gears, you know, to to win the game. So um, I I really like that uh, as a you know a Catan experience if I've got the time. You know, sure. Um, and yeah, I have to say, I'm, you know, I, I really, I have really enjoyed developing Catan uh, Donna Humankind. It, it's it's a it's a really fun, fluid game. Um, a little bit like, uh, well, I mean, it, you know, it's it just allows you to uh, you're mo- you know you're moving settlers and building camps. Um, you know, because it's of course uh prehistoric it's the it, it's the human experience settling of the world but uh it's got a, it's a highly fluid character about it and you know you, you sort of balancing you know going out and sort of establishing camps in, in rich areas of the world but you also need to explore um uh, you know, technology and develop technology and and uh and uh take risks exploring and build and, and crossing into new continents and the like. And it's just, that's just to me a really, it's just a fun, fun game. And the, the current design, Dawn of Humankind is much more fluid than, um, than the original Sellers of the Stone Age. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a faster, um, 
light, you know, fa faster, more fluid experience without losing the, the depth of storytelling, which I like a lot. You said that was coming out this fall? Yeah, that's a that's a uh, October, November release. Yeah, I should be out in October, I should say. Yeah. I'll definitely keep my eye out for that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful art. Fantastic new art. Um, oh, and good. some really cool, um, you know, minis, uh, 3D figs and stuff. We, you know, we keep, you know, prototypes around. I don't, you know, these, these are, these are prototypes of like little, you oh, know, camp. Uh, say a little camp. That's cool a little, huts. yeah, a little, little, little shelter. And, you know, here's some little prototype figs. But, yeah. <laughs> You know. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's cool. And, uh, yeah, it's got, uh, you know, nothing like a, a good smile of Don and, a, you know, anyway. Uh, but, so what, what color do you play as when you play games? Well, I, and this is kind of tough for a guy who publishes Catan, uh, <laughs> but no, it, it, uh, I'm a green guy. I like green. As, and, and, and that's in the five to six player expansion. It is, yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> It, but uh, I've always loved green. It's my favorite color, and that's why I'm wearing a green shirt today. Uh, but, um, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I've learned over the years not to get too <laughs> not, not to get too worried about color, you know. And, and psychologically, uh, you know, some people would say, and it's an extremely small edge, that if you play white in a Catan game, for instance, or in any game, really, uh, people don't notice you as much if you can play gray or white, you know, or black, yeah. you know some sort of brown. You know, you just sort of blend in, and they and you aren't noticed, you know. And whereas if you you know are playing red, um, it may be the other opposite. And blue in a in a low light situation, you know, you're you're going to be more noticeable than anybody else. No, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, how about a hidden gem game? Oh god. Game that you don't think gets enough credit for for being as great as it is. Wow. You know, there are a ton of them. Uh, you know, I uh and this is kind of, you know, going back in time a little bit. I'm going to kind of go back in time and mark my way forward. Certainly you've we've already talked a little bit about Acquire and those those 3M games, but uh, you know, certainly more recently uh Great card game like Six, Six Nymph, which is a, a Wolfgang Kramer game. It's a card game. Oh very, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's a it's I think an unsung gem. It's a well sung in Germany, but not so much anywhere else. Which I think is Amigo kind of has that right? Yeah, Amigo. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, we used to publish it. I think uh, with Amigo at Mayfair Games uh, or Zupa, which I really loved. It was it's a Doris and Frank game. It's about uh, developing multi-cell, you know, starting with single cell and developing multi-cell critters. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the GIPF project, the GIPF GIPF project from Chris Burham, who's, I think, a great, you know, he's as good an abstract game designer as any man, any, any man or woman that's ever lived. Uh, Chris is a Belgian guy from Antwerp. And GIPF and Zertz and Yinch uh, are all unsung games. They're fantastic two-player abstract games are just unbelievably good um and and uh if you have a if you just want a, a two-player experience a little bit different than normal you know I, I i shout out um i think um i i think you know more recently certainly martin wallace's steam game is is it which is a very very tight game design very unforgiving at times but it's a, a brilliant absolutely brilliant game um and uh the uh, lords of vegas uh you know which they just kickstarted again uh is that the from, hotel uh, one what is that the hotel one where you're, or the casino one we're trying casino to build one yeah lords of yeah. vegas is this really fun kind of you know kind of bizarre and fun ride uh and they've got a new uh, we've got some expansions up and and a couple of others that, that have come out and Lords of Vegas is a really good casual experience. It's a lot of fun uh, with people who aren't hardcore gamers. Um, and uh, I, I think that's if you're playing two player, I think Patchwork um, is is very much an unsung gem. Um, although it's I think kind of getting traction uh, now more and more. Um, and Uva 
Rosenberg, you know, who did uh, Agricola and Caverna mm-hmm. and, you know, did that game. Um, he also did another kind of semi-sung game that I think people, sh- you know, should always think about having in their library, and that's Bonanza, which is a wonderful. <laughs> that just wonderful. came back out with a new uh, new edition. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, but, you know, there are countless. Oh, sure. You know, countless unsung games out there. And, yeah. and I haven't played most of them. <laughs> no, I, I believe me. Uh, I've got a whole shelf of games I don't I haven't played. Yeah, yeah. They just sit there. They look really pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping I'll get a chance to explore them again. Yeah. But I am, I, I will do a shout out for Chris because Chris, I don't know how easy his games are to find these days, but you can find a, uh, any one of the Chris Berm games, uh, whether they're a GIF project or not. Uh, you'll, you'll almost, almost, always find they're really brilliant and fun at the same time yeah i've seen his games actually they're like uh like gip devon yeah devon devon yeah. inch inch yeah those they're, are the they have yeah. crazy names you know by <laughs> most people's you know uh but uh yeah and they all have kind of a meta game going as well chris has a uh you know this idea in the in the quote gip project where if you there is a legacy factor. You can play GIF and then you, the winner of that game can then carry some element of that game into the next game. And it's a really kind of a, a cool Interesting. idea. Yeah. 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 Interesting. So you've already kind of hit on my last question, which is Kickstarter. Uh, you do, you yeah. are a Kickstarter backer. Uh, yeah, have you I've, yourself ever run a Kickstarter campaign? Well, I, I honestly, I've done a few projects outside the board. You know, I do a lot of game design outside of the traditional market, right? We just, you know, I've done alternative reality game design. Uh, actually, one a, a game I we I did with uh, Jordan Wiseman, Nalan Lee, and Sean Stewart uh, back in 2001 called AI just won a Peabody Award, which is we're excited about. Um, so. You know, I've always been interested in, in storytelling outside the traditional boundaries of, of our business. And one time we did a, uh, a game called uh, Cones of Dunshire. Uh, we designed that game for the mo- uh, the TV series Parks and Recreation. Yeah. And uh, the lead designer actually was, Mar- it was Morgan Donteville and uh, Coleman Charlton was sort of the co-designer. I did, you know... I did. I was the producer and did a lot of the development work, but I I also brokered it with the Parks and Rec people who are just a joy to work with. They the same team later did uh, Good Place for uh, you know another yeah. great TV series. But they wanted to do they wanted a game in story for their TV series, so we we built Cones of Dunshire for them, and it was this wild game for eight to twelve people. It was ridiculous, you know, but it was this fun. It was this fun spoof of a game and and it was really kind of a cool game in its own crazy way and um a little bit of a race game but there was a lot more depth there and That's so we kickstart we, we we decided we might kickstart that game um and and that was the only kickstarter i've actually done um you, you know in in the in terms of my you know my own being being part of a kickstarter team but we did it for it was so wildly expensive um you know, we wanted so much money for this game and, and so few people really under, knew it. And how many people really want a game for eight to 12 people? Really? <laughs> you know, so it was it was kind of doomed from the start. Uh, but we learned a lot about Kickstarter and we had a great time, of course, with with Parks and Rex guys and actually seeing a game, our game in the TV series being part of the plot. Oh, man, and then such the a funny plot. For that game ended up being in the season in the series finale. Yeah. You know, it was kind of fun, but anyway. So the only Kickstarter I've actually been part of, I you know, was a was a miserable failure. But uh, on the other hand, you know, I've got a lot of friends that have done some very successful Kickstarters. Uh, Morgan just did one with. I mean, he did a design for uh, you know a really cool superhero game a design. Uh, my my friend Andrew Navarro, who used to run Fantasy Flight Games, uh, just did a really awesome. Uh, Kickstarter. And, you know, I've been part of that in terms of being kind of, you know, a consultant. Uh, But but I've never really I've never done a successful Kickstarter, partly because, you know, we we do Catan and we're lucky enough to be able to sell those games 
uh, at a pretty pretty steady level. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I yeah. can imagine. Yeah, last year, in fact, was the first year we ever manufactured more than one million um, Catan English language Catan board games. Just so, how many languages is Catan in right now? Uh forty some. Yeah. So I have a little bit more to go. I have three, so I got I got a long there ways to go. go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some we're hoping for Basque someday, but I don't know. It'll be it'll be a while. But no, I, I backed uh, I backed Paris. I backed Pachacuna, which I talked about. Uh, I did back uh, Lords of Vegas. Uh, you know, I backed a few uh, of these. Um, I backed a, a few of the Calliope projects. It's uh, I just don't have a lot of time, and I have so many games as it is that you know doesn't make a lot of sense. No, I understand. I back a whole bunch. I usually back at a print and play level or something like that to show my support for the the yeah. designer yeah. um and then i download all the files and i try to get around to printing them off and, and making the game to play and a lot of times what i always find is like i'll be really obsessed with one of them I'm like man i should just go buy this production copy then you can't find it because you know the, they did enough to get they did enough to, yeah. to get it out there and, and it's like man i should have bought that production yeah. copy yeah yeah, you, know, you you never know. I mean, not every Kickstarter is going to be, uh, you know, uh, exploding kittens. No. Good grief, no. Yeah. No, or the next Awakened Realms game. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, but I, I think it's great that, that we're able to bring, you know, we've seen gaming, at least in my career, you know, grow into the electronic game, you know, uh, world, the electronic mark. Uh, market and um you know uh, computer based uh storytelling and in all of that area it has tons of, of gr- growth opportunity because they still can't do a great role-playing game online yet um or in a in a in a in a computer game context yet um well we, we you know we've seen it grow into that and, and sort of expand the market of game the game market the game community through the electronic space and now it's coming back into the analog space and uh, we're reaping the benefits of that and uh, and it's only going to get better you know yeah. as we grow yeah, as a culture you know as we evolve continue to evolve because change is constant we're going to see more and more gaming and and uh, Kickstarters, you know, crowdfunding generally, I should say, it, you know, gives people an opportunity to tell stories uh, in a beautiful way, a meaningful way, uh, without having to rely on uh, on the commercial um, distribution chain. It's hard to get in. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It says, it's, yeah, it's not hard for you. I bet. Well, yeah, it does help. We got a we got some traction. We got some shelf space early. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, again, we produce, uh, I think Asmodee produces a lot of wonderful games and a wide variety. And we have some amazingly creative studios. Uh, uh, I've mentioned a few, certainly, uh, you know, you see some fantastic games coming out of, of different cultures. You know, we've seen, uh, of course, certainly a lot of great game design out of Europe, you know, France and Belgium, Germany and those places. Um you know, we've seen real, some really cool stuff coming out of Japan in the way of, of mini games, micro games, just, you know, really interesting games. Uh, you know, who would have ever thought, you know, they would pick up a great game called Fake Artist Goes to New York, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it's, it, you know, we've had the chance to get in there early, uh, develop a really good distribution network. And with Catan, of course, you know, we have a, a over 25 year old game now 27 years old yeah that sort of pioneered that you know that uh pathway and and uh it deserves it deserves its its space as as a uh as as a gateway game uh into a really awesome culture no i i agree and like i said it's it's definitely will always have a special place in, in my gaming in my shelf of just the game that really got me into the hobby the game that is 
I've seen with all the expansions and stuff just keep evolving and 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 changing and giving you new ways to play it. And to me, that that's you know people want to complain about you know you know the game's so great it doesn't need an expansion. Well, then don't get it. But right. I'm telling you, don't you, you don't have to. You know, you don't have to. when you don't have to spend the money, play no. whatever you want. But I, I love the fact that Catan's always got something new coming out and it's a new way to augment and, you know, just change the way I'm, I play it every now and then. Like we said, this, the seafarers and cities and nights combination. Oh my gosh. I would want to play that every time, but Oh my. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Then you, you know, uh, you can get, yeah, you can get down into some rabbit holes here and there. I do want to do a shout out for people who don't know Siddles of America. That's a great game. Uh, it's, a, it's a very different style of Catan mm-hmm. game. You know, there are no victory points. It's you know all about you know who, who delivers your goods to the other players first. But um, that's a real interesting twist on the on the core Catan mechanics. Yeah. Everybody starts on the East Coast. You got to push west. Yeah, and, and the East Coast, you know, the resources get depleted. That, mm-hmm. that occurs also in Dawn of Humankind. The African uh, continent, you know, becomes less productive over time because that's how climate change affected Africa. In the case of uh, Settlers of America, you know, we just, we just exhausted the, the land in the East uh, in the beginning with bad uh, agriculture practices and, and too many people. But, uh, but it, you know, that story is pretty well told in that game, and it's a really interesting game. So. No, it's fun. Yeah. I, I think I've won that one only once. It's not. Yeah, but winning, you know, <laughs> winning's way overrated. Come on. Oh, absolutely. If it weren't for losing, I would never even bother playing a game. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, my dad kicked my tail pretty regularly in those 3M games when I first started. But, uh, but that didn't mean I didn't have fun. Oh, absolutely. My son beats me all the time. He's nine, and anything that's anywhere close to chess-related, I might as well give up on. Like, I have the old 3M game Feudal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And uh, um, he just just lays waste to my army so fast. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, there's got to be there's gotta be a, a, a better way to do this. And he's like, I mean, you're trying. Like, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, well, buddy. That's a that's a that's a uh, that's a good winner, you know. Yeah. You should always be always be a good winner and a, and a, a gracious winner and a gracious loser, regardless oh, yeah. of the experience. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, Pete, I'd like to thank you for being on my show sure. with me today. I've had a great time talking with you and learning about Catan and how you got involved in this great industry that we we are a part of. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wanted to reach out to you, how could they do that? Goodness, that's a dangerous thing. Um, because I'm a pretty busy guy, and as you probably could tell, that was pretty hard. Uh, you can reach me uh, through through Catan Studio, and in in that vein, um, I'm reachable by by email, Pete at CatanStudio.com. But uh, I'll be honest, yeah, we try and keep it kind of on the lowdown here because, well. If we, if not, we end up a little overwhelmed with visitors, and uh, and, and you know, and it's okay. But we we have, we still are work. I haven't retired yet, you know. So we, we have two Swedes visiting uh, Coleman, my friend, uh, who's our also our next door neighbor, lives next to me in the studio here, and uh, they're they're you know they're fans from way way back. Uh, we we get the odd visitor, you know, but. Uh, you know, we the bottom line is we try and uh, we we try and stay pretty private. Well, I don't blame you there. And, and we don't. And I I'm going to tell your your uh, listeners this: we don't solicit game designs because uh, we just can't. Uh, it's overwhelming. And, oh, I can uh, imagine. Even, even when I was CEO at Mayfair Games, we learned that we just could not keep up with um, unsolicited designs or even solicited designs in most cases. If you have a great game idea, I'm not the guy to publish it uh, at this point in my life. There are other great studios, to, and and of course there's the, you know crowdfunding and any other number, any other ways to to get your design to market. And uh, I'm very supportive of uh, I just say bring it on when it comes to new games. I'm just I, I I get a kick out of all this great storytelling. Yeah, absolutely, and. 
keep making them. I'll keep buying them and yep. hopefully I'll get around to playing them. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I wish your, you know, your whole, uh, your, all your gaming friends and your audience, uh, you know, the best and good gaming. And, uh, as the, uh, Zulu would say, um, <laughs> and as usual, if you want to reach out to me, it's eatlunchandboardgame.com. Email me at eatlunchandboardgame at gmail.com or find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash eatlunchandboardgame. And remember, board games build bridges. Stay in tune with all things sports around Indiana and the nation with the Crash Course Podcast. Each week, we tackle the big storylines from the world of the Colts, Pacers, and the Indiana College scene, while also keeping a pulse on the nation. We record live weekly at twitch.tv slash 3cmedia and can be found on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts can be heard, you can catch the Crash Course Podcast. When you're gaming, why not be comfy? Go over to supportplayer.org. Click on the cards, pieces, and dice to get some merch. These t-shirts are some of the most comfortable I have ever worn. That's supportplayer.org, and there's a link on eatlunchandboardgame.com.